On today's Padone My Take, I'll be joined by former Browns offensive line coach and hard knocks legend, Bob Wiley. We're going to get into all the controversial things that he might have said last season about Freddie Kitchens, about the Browns. We're going to go over all of that, plus more with Bob Wiley. We're going to uh, recap the Browns' win over the Cincinnati Bengals on Thursday Night Football and get you ready for Sunday's matchup versus the Washington football team. We'll talk about the Cleveland Indians clinching that playoff spot with the awesome Jose Ramirez walk-off home run, how much fun all that was, and give you all my takes on all the trends around the world of sports. So let's get into it because Padone My Take is presented by my bookie. Winning season returns at my bookie. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means survivor, super contest, and squares. At my bookie, winning season means hitting all of your parlays and all of your props with your feet up, watching your team trounce their rivals. Invest in your intuition. Use promo code PADONE and double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free play designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games that you want to bet on. From live betting to championship futures, every play that you're waiting to play is waiting for you over at MyBookie. It's this simple. You're going to register using promo code PADONE. You're going to make your picks. You're going to win big, and you're going to collect your cash. Use promo code PADONE. That's my last name, PADONE. And you're going to double your first deposit today. Your winning season begins today only at MyBookie. Go check them out, MyBookie.ag. Again, that's promo code PADONE. They're going to double that first deposit. Hook it up for you guys. How quickly things change in the world of Cleveland sports. Welcome to Cleveland, Ohio, baby. This is what we do here. Last week, the Browns smoked by the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, We were talking about, is Baker Mayfield the guy? We were talking about, do you trade Odell Beckham Jr.? It was hell in a handbag. It was panic mode if the Browns lose to the Bengals. The Indians were on an eight-game losing streak. It was looking easy to get rid of Frankie Lindor. We were questioning the pitching that we kept. How things have changed. This week... The Cavs, back at practice. Sexton and Garland both look bigger. They both look more athletic. They're ready to go. Indians clinch playoffs on a three-run shot by Jose Ramirez, who's making a late run for the MVP candidacy. The Browns beat the Bengals on Thursday night football. Baker looked improved. Odell played well. And on Sunday, the Cleveland Browns have a chance to go over 500 for the first time since 2014 versus Dwayne Haskins and the Washington football team. I think they're going to be able to do it. I'm excited to see it. What else could you say? What else could you say than how quickly things change? I thought the Browns defense surprised me on Sunday, and I wanted to open up the show talking about them. Um, the front four came up big. 
The secondary and linebacking cores, we knew we're going to need help. We knew that that was going to be the Achilles heel of this team this year, especially with the Grant Delpit injury, the Kevin Johnson lacerated liver, you know, the greedy Williams shoulder, the Mac Wilson hyperextended knee. We knew this was going to be hard. It wasn't going to be easy throughout these first couple games. But with these guys coming back against the Washington football team, I'm excited about that. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. Uh, first, we're going to get into Bob Wiley here in a second. But the front four was Ben don't break for me. And that's what I wanted to see them do against Joe Burrow and that horrible Bengals offensive line. You know, the broadcast on Thursday Night Football, NBC, they wanted to make their production and they wanted to make it seem like, oh, this is Joe Burrow's game. It's his coming out party against Cleveland, Battle of Ohio. But really, it's Joe Burrow's first game. And you have to understand that they were going to do that. It's his first time on national TV since, you know, his days at LSU and the national championship run. The world wanted to see Joe Burrow. We talked about that last week. The world wanted to see Baker Mayfield and the Browns fail on Thursday Night Football, and they didn't do that. And, and then the next day on social media, people were saying, well, Joe Burrow played a good game. Like, like Joe Burrow is the real deal. Did he really? He threw the ball 61 times, and that's because for the most part, it got close there at the end, but for the most part, the Browns were beating them pretty handedly. But did he really look that good? To me, he looked like he held on to it for a long time. He was hesitant to throw deep balls down the field. Him and A.J. Green had no connection at all. A.J. Green fantasy owners, I don't know what you fellas are going to do because Joe Burrow and A.J. Green looked on two different, completely different pages. I thought the Browns handled Joe Burrow exceptionally well. And we were talking about going into this game. Is Baker the worst quarterback in the AFC North? And I hated having that conversation because no. Baker shares a division with Lamar Jackson, who won the division last year, who won the MVP. He shares it with Big Ben, who father time, I hate to tell you, Pittsburgh Steelers fans, is getting a hold of. He's coming off of a Tommy John surgery. He's not the Big Ben of old. He's still really good. But he's not the big Ben of old. And then Joe Burrow, who's a rookie. So the, the whole Baker conversation was silly. And I think Thursday night football, at least it should have proved that Baker is not the fourth best quarterback in this division. You know, it, it, AFC North is a good division. It's one of the best in football. I tweeted that on Sunday when I was watching that Steelers-Broncos game. But then we were watching that game and Big Ben almost lost to Jeff Driscoll. And the Denver Broncos, that's not an impressive team. Come on. Von Miller's out for the season. Phillip Lindsay, who carries a lot of their workload, is dealing with a turf toe, and he he missed that game. Uh, you know, Cortland Sutton left with cramps, and it turned out to be a torn ACL. Like, the Denver Broncos aren't that good. The Pittsburgh Steelers, all I hear about is their front four, and trust me, they look good. And trust me, when we play the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, in, you know, the three or four weeks here, I'm going to be nervous about TJ Watt, about Bud Dupree, uh, you know, those guys that they have up front. But when I was watching that game, I was like, really? This, this team looks beatable. And I want to get into it in a second. And before we bring in Bob Wiley, I want you to tweet the show at Nick Padone 12 at Padone My Take, which you could always do. Are the Browns contenders this season? You know, they play in such a difficult division, but you're getting that extra wild card team. My question is that simple. Are the Browns contenders this year? At Nick Padone 12 at Padone My Take. Things are looking up in Cleveland. I'm going to preview Browns versus Washington football team in a second. But first, we got to do this big. We got to do this right. Because 
Coming on the show right now is a Hard Knocks legend, former Cleveland Browns assistant, Bob Wiley. He's going to talk about his time on HBO. He's going to talk about his time with the Browns, his Maseratis, all that and more. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is, Bob Wiley. Okay, so joining me now is longtime NFL offensive line coach, Bob Wiley. Bob, long time no talk. We haven't heard from you up here in Cleveland in quite some time. I want to know, and the fans are asking, how are those Maseratis doing, my friend? They're polished and ready to go. Cool. Uh, Go ahead and tell everybody, how does a person end up buying two Maseratis? Actually, there's three. (laughs) Oh, there's three. How's a person end up buying three Maseratis? Well, I I had a... uh... God, I was in a, in a uh, service department getting a car serviced, okay? And I and they gave you a car to use, okay? So, and I brought the car back, okay, and to pick up my car. And in the showroom, there was a Maserati. The biggest mistake I made was sitting in it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, two hours later, I had the Maserati, right? Well, then, that was a, a Quad Reporte GT Sport, okay? It was a, the Ford model. I wanted a Gran Turismo, okay. which is the two-door sporty model, that you guys saw the white one, okay? So I coached the guy's kid that owns the Dallas, an exotic car dealership down in Dallas. And so I called him up and I asked him, I said, hey, you know, I'm looking for this. What do you got? He's saying, I got a good one for you. It's coming off a lease. It's only got like 10, 10 or 12,000 miles on it. He said, I can give you a good deal on the car. So I said, okay. So I bought the car, sight unseen. Okay. And they shipped it to Cleveland. So now I got two. Okay. <laughs> well, now I got a buddy that's a service manager. Okay. In a Maserati store. And he calls me up. He says, hey, you still looking for the Grand Turismo? I said, I just got one. He says, we just had one in the, in the shop. It's only got 5,000 miles on it. I said, what? He said, it's only got 5,000 miles on it. The guy wants to get rid of the car. He said, I, he said you got to go look at it. It's a beautiful car. I said, ah, all right. So he gives me the guy's name and number. I call my guy up. We make an appointment. I go over to the guy's house. We open the guy's garage door. He's got an F-12 Ferrari. He's got a Bentley. He's got a Holly Davidson motorcycle. I mean, he's got all the toys. And the Maserati's sitting over in a corner. It's got a cover on it. Right? So he says, you want to drive it? I don't need to drive it. He said, I'll take a look at it. So he take the cover off. And he and the service guy was right. It's, not, it's a beautiful car. It's, it's, a, like a, it's a blue. It's like a navy blue. And it's got the cream interior with the blue stitching. And the, the tridents on it are blue inside me. It's gorgeous. So I'm looking. I said, oh, my God, what am I going to do with this thing? So the guy goes, I said, what do you want for the car? He says, ah, make me an offer. So I made him an off-the-wall offer that was the price of the guy that sold me the car in Dallas. Right? And the guy looks at me. He says, I'm not driving it. Go ahead. Take it. You got it. Wow. <laughs> so now I got three. I guess so. That's how a person ends up with three Maseratis. Obviously, the first time we saw that car was on Hard Knocks on HBO. Talk to me a little bit. What was that experience like for you? Was it cool? Was it fun? Uh, Were the cameras a little bit invasive? And do you really hate stretching? Uh, Well, 
you know, I, I it was fun. It, it was fun doing it. Okay. I did not put on any show for the cameras. What you saw is me. Okay. That's just the way I am. If you would have did it 20 years ago, you would have saw the same guy 30 years ago. It, it's just a, you know, it's just the way I am, my personality. Okay. The cameras in the building, what they did is they come in during the off season and they rewire the building and they put the cameras up and you can't, don't, sometimes you don't even know they're there. Wow. You know what I mean? They're, yeah. they're covered up, they're hidden there. You know, like in my room, there was a camera, there was a, like a, oh, they, they come in like a covered globe, I should say, okay. on the wall. And then the, the ceiling grids for the drop-down ceilings, right, they take a couple of them out and they put these grids in that have the microphones, okay? So you really sit in a room and not even know, you know, they got, you've got cameras on, you forget sometimes. Right, and so that in the building itself was okay. It was not bad. Sometimes in the in the on the field, they follow you around because every day they come in, they give us a list of the guys they want mic'd. Okay, and then when it was my turn, I said, "Now I really have to do this." Guy said, "Yeah, you got to do this." I said, "Okay." Well, then after that episode, they mic me like almost every day after that. <laughs> right, so you know, and I and we used to have a signal when we were mic'd. Okay, right. We have a signal to tell anybody coming up to us because hmm. right? we don't want them to say anything that they're not supposed to say that may get out in the general public about players or about staff, about any of that stuff. So we always give a little signal, right? You know, I don't always point to my logo. Okay, hey, that means I'm mic'd. Okay, so watch what you say because you don't know what's going to get out there. All right, so that's about the only thing that we did. You know, uh, they stayed far enough away from us with the cameras on the field and the booms, you know, but you still had to, I, 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 you still had to watch what you said about personnel on the field. You don't want to embarrass any of you, but you don't want to degrade anybody. You never want to do that as a coach anyway. All right. So, you know, other than that, it was, it was fun. I understood and I don't know it to be a, a fact that somebody told me that that episode, okay, uh, somewhere somebody sent me a thing that it was the best one they had in 14 years or something like that. And it went to like 200 million homes or 185 million houses. Got to see that. You know? So that, that part was kind of fun. It really was. Yeah, Cleveland did have like the highest, you know, ranking grossing hard knocks as a whole, you know, so that season was a lot of fun. Do you hate stretching though? What was up with that? The people are dying to know. Well, I tell you what, when we were with Oakland, uh, when I was with you, Jackson in Oakland, we didn't stretch. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, if you wanted to stretch, you went down and you saw the trainers and you saw the stretch guys. And you got stretched before you came to practice because we were not stretching in practice. Okay, so we'd go out there, all right, and then we'd get together and coach would talk to us for a few minutes and then we'd break. Okay, and the first thing we would do is we would go right to team takeoff. Okay, and then we go right to individual. And from individual, we go right to the inside one period. Okay, and then we didn't stretch before or after practice. They wanted to stretch after practice. Then they had go see the trainers and go see the strength guys and get yourself stretched. We had the least amount of soft tissue injury, okay, in the National Football League. You know, so, you know, I used to work for uh, Coach Bruce or Bruce, God rest his soul. 
right? And he used to tell us the stories all the time about, you think that tiger's stretching? When that tiger sees that antelope, you think he worries about stretching? If he did, he wouldn't eat. See, he just goes, you know, so. Yeah, now, I really hate it. I don't really hate it, but I think there's a big emphasis on it because growing up as a kid, you didn't go out when you played and stretched. You just went out and you put the play. You're climbing trees. You're playing baseball. You're running. You're playing basketball. You're riding your bike. Nobody's stretching. Then all of a sudden, you get into organized sports, right? And the first time you get to organized sports, somebody says, well, you got to stretch now. Really? I just spent the last 10, 12, 14 years. I didn't stretch. <laughs> now I need to stretch. <laughs> I get a thing from a guy from Oxford. I get this thing from a guy from Oxford, England. I think I'm pretty sure they're pretty intelligent out there, right? And he's telling me, Coach, you're really on the right, you're on the right line. You're on the right road. <laughs> People forget that you were with Coach Hugh in, in Oakland, and they forget that, you know, you were here during 0-16. You battled those lows with the rest of us as fans. When Baker finally gets put into that Thursday night game against the Jets and the Browns finally win the first game of that whole streak, how cool was it to be a part of that and to be in the stadium that night? I, I thought it was when, when, the, when Tyrod went down, okay, and they put Baker in. Okay, and a lot of people don't know the story. There's a lot of stories that go, go that go with it. Okay, and Baker goes in the game. Okay, well the defense, some defensive players at the Jets were saying, "Mayfield, we're coming after your ass. Mayfield, we're gonna come and get you." Right, and rookie, we're gonna. And Mayfield turns around at them, and I don't know if I'm supposed to swear in this podcast or not. And and. Uh, Baker looks at him and he goes, I don't even know who the fuck you are. <laughs> Joe Petonio, Joe Petonio and, uh, and J.C. Snyder and those and Kevin, right? So they were laughing. So they come off the field. Right after the series was over, they come off the field and, and they're sitting on the bench and they're laughing. And I said, What's, what, are you guys, what are you laughing for? They said, they, they told me the story what Baker just did. And then they said, yeah, he, he's our guy. You know what I mean? And, and uh, Baker played really well for us, okay? I think he really – he played well. And Kenny Zampezi kind of had him corralled, you know what I mean? And he liked Kenny. Kenny's a hell of a quarterback coach, a hell of a football coach. You know what I mean? And, and Kenny did a real good job with him, right? And we didn't ask him to do a lot of crazy things, okay? We kept it really simple and easy for him. And he executed, and we were – we ran the ball well, okay? And uh, I think – you know, and Greg Williams did a really good job of keeping us focused and making it uh, a lighter atmosphere. So after the after the uh, the head coach was let go and the coordinator was let go, the atmosphere in the meeting in the building itself was a little lighter. It was a little more relaxed, and the kids felt felt a little more comfortable. And uh, I remember uh, Greg Williams, and he, you know, he would tell us, "Stay away from the kids on game day." He said, "Don't coach them up on game day. Get, stay away from them. Right? Just let them go out there and play. Don't give them too much. You know what I mean? And as as older coaches like ourselves, you got a wealth of information that you want to give them. Okay, mm-hmm. and if you give them too much. Okay, you're gonna slow them down." There's too much thinking, okay? 
you got to give them what they need to know. you got to fill up their toolbox with tools because they need to make corrections. Because on, when they're on the field and you're on the sideline, you're a fan. You're watching the game like everybody else. You're just going to different, you know, you're, you're just watching different parts of the game, okay? The fans are following the ball. I'm trying to find what's happening with the blocking scheme closest to me. You know what I mean? So, and then the guy upstairs is looking at the blocking scheme closer to him. You know, he's looking at the other side. He's got a better view. You know, but we're – so the players have to get in the huddle and make corrections, okay? So you've got to give them enough information, enough tools in their box that they can pull out because there may be a 10-play drive. And yet you can't talk to the kid. And if you only give the kid one thing to do, then you just put that kid in a bad situation, okay? Because it may not be working. And that's all he's got to do. And it may not be working. So I don't do that with my players. I, in my last year there, we, the line finished second in the NFL, number two. First year, we didn't win a game. We finished, we were in 10th, okay? The second year, I, we had five games with one sack and five games with no sacks. You know what I mean? The kids played really well. You know, people don't realize all that stuff, but they don't see what's happening up in the front, the actual techniques and details that we put into what goes on up there. Okay, so, you know, Baker, I believe, and I don't know all the stats with it. I try not to. I think he was the least hit quarterback, okay, at the time, from when he was in until he finished. You know what I mean? So that, you know, says something for Baker getting rid of the ball. You know, it says something for the, the line keeping them off, the running backs picking up blitzes, the receivers running the right routes at the right depths, you know, running backs getting out there, flare controls when they're supposed to be. You know, all that stuff plays into it. I think we were more of a, a run-action team. People call it play-action. We're more of a run-action. We were trying to sell more of the run look, okay? You know, play-action to me is, you know, the line's going to take the four down and the mic and the backs that are faking toke by the quarterback, you know, that's kind of the run, uh, play action. You know, I, I kind of put it in, you've got a run action protection, a play action protection. You've got out-of-pocket protections where the quarterback's going to get out of the pocket, and then you've got your drop-back protections and your screens. You know what I mean? I, those five or six concepts, it's all we got. And it's how much you put into those five or six. Now, we try not, not to give them a lot. You know, last year it did seem like Baker was a little overloaded at times, and you didn't buy into the Freddie Kitchens hype. You were the one kind of talking people off that ledge, like, hey, calm down. It was Ken Zampezi pulling some of those strings. What did you make of that mess last season in Cleveland? I, you know, I got my butt in trouble for saying all that, you know, in that show. And I, I just told the truth. I told exactly the truth what happened, and I got hammered with it. But – you know what I mean? Sometimes you tell the truth and they don't want to hear it. But that's exactly what happened. And it was Kenny. It was Al Saunders. It was, uh, you know, Greg uh, Seaman, you know, Mark Hudson, myself. You know, we kind of took everything. There's a lot of, I think, between me, Kenny, and Al, we had like 75 years of coaching experience in the National Football League. I said, so we were pretty comfortable with it. You know what I mean? We could make it work. And with Greg Williams' leadership, okay, that made it better. Okay? And so, you know, we just put the stuff on the game plan and then just go all uh, Freddie Kitchens had to do was just call numbers. 
you know, you get in certain situations, you know, Baker's got a wristband, okay, you get in third and four, hey, you got these three plays. You know, you get in third and eight to ten, you got these four plays or three plays. You, get, you know, you got second and one, you got these three plays, okay? Always, we kind of made it really simple, you know what I mean, and let the kids play. Just let the kids play, you know what I mean? So, you know, that all that stuff that got my butt in trouble, I was just telling the truth. Like, you know, they said, well, you know, Bob doesn't have a contract. Well, I got fired on January 12th in a hospital bed, and my contract ran out on January 15th. <laughs> so, but, so when they fired me, I was still under contract for three days. Right? So they, they, you know, all that stuff is ancient history. That all happens in the league. You know, just the way it happened, you don't like. You know, what really bothered us the most as coaches, okay, is we worked our butt off, okay, up until that point where I got hurt, okay. And then uh, they have a meeting, and then it was voiced over that we did a really good job. And, you know, I got the, uh, I got the interview. You know, guys did a hell of a job and helped me get the interview, so on and so forth. And then three days later, everybody gets fired. <laughs> so you don't you don't really know where that came from. You don't know if that was the head coach. You don't know if it was the general manager. You don't know if it came from the owner. You don't know. You never know as a coach. Okay, so you know, I just okay. This is the what we did. This is how it happened. This was the truth. And that's what the way we went. And and I think the, the some of the media and the fans kind of hammered me. So. Hey, well, I appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on here, and I know the fans do too. Somebody I definitely wanted to ask you about, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring his name up, is Joe Thomas, obviously an icon here in Cleveland. As somebody that's committed you know, their whole career to coaching offensive lines and working with offensive tackles, how nearly impossible is it for a single player to record almost 10,000 consecutive snaps throughout his career? That'll never happen again. 10,353 consecutive snaps. It, it, it's not going – it's – he had to have some luck with that because there's probably some games, okay, where they were getting beat really bad and they wanted to try some of the younger players. But for whatever reason, they didn't do it. They didn't put the other guys in. You know what I mean? Joe – and Joe may have thrown them off the field. Say, I'm not leaving. Off the field. So that could have happened too. I don't know that – that did, uh, you know, and I don't see that anybody is actually going to break that record. I can't see that happening. That's really, really uh, a, a unique record to hold. I look at the league now, and you look at all the injuries they're having, right? And I believe that all the injuries that they're having right now is because the way they practice in training camp. There's not enough contact in training camp, okay, to get you through a 16-game season, okay? There's not – you don't, they don't hit enough. When you hit, your body has to get callous to the hits, okay? Because your body, whatever hit it is, is going to get distorted. It, your body gets actually distorted one way or the other, and then, and then you have to recover from that and continue to play, continue to block it or continue to run, or whatever it is, okay? Well, that, your body takes a while to get used to doing that if it hasn't done it in a while, okay? Well, 
I don't believe that that is enough contact in the number of days that they're allowed contact, okay, to have their bodies get in that situation. So as you see on the TV at the games, after all the games, right, there's a lot of injuries out there. And I really believe that comes from how they're practicing in training camp. You know, I, I, uh, I, I had it in my career, I, I coached with John Harbaugh. So John and myself are, are pretty good friends. And I talked to him about that. And he said, you, you, you hit it right on the head. He said, you know, we at Baltimore, we hit when we had the time to hit. When they said, okay, this practice is a physical practice. Hey, you guys can hit today. You can have contact today. Well, we did as much of it as we could. It was going to be physical and it was going to be violent. And we did that. Okay. Because of the nature of, you know, all the hype about the virus and all the other stuff that might have scared off some other staff from doing some of that stuff. You're up there in the CFL now, you know, and how's that league kind of combating everything with the coronavirus? You watch an NFL game, there's either, you know, a couple hundred fans or there's no fans. Is that kind of weird? What are your thoughts on how all that's looking? Well, you got to understand in the CFL, they cancel the league, they cancel the season. We don't have right. the season. Okay? They were looking into having a bubble in Winnipeg where all the teams would go to Winnipeg, but the logistics was just not working out. I don't think the way they wanted it to. And then the CFL is based on money that is generated through the fans and through sponsors. And, and so that's how the league survives. It's not like the NFL where the TV – they got multi-million dollar or billion dollar contracts and, you know, everything's paid for before they go on a field and stop practice. Okay. So they spent, again, somebody told me $74 million on the protocol to get it right or try to get it right for the players and the stats to be safe during games and during practices and coming in and out of the building. And so they really put a lot of time and effort into doing that. Okay. In the CFL, they don't have the money to do that. So it may be a blessing that that happened that way, but you really wish that you were playing, okay? You know, you still get excited to play the game. You still get excited to be on the field. You still get excited in practice and stuff. So, you know, I'm I'm sitting here at my mom's house in Rhode Island, and uh, uh, you know what I mean? And I should be on the field someplace. Right. I should be somewhere staying on a football field telling, you know, coaching the guys what to do. You're still beloved here in Cleveland, Bob. I really appreciate you taking the time, you know, to hang out with us. What What's one parting thing that you would want to say to Cleveland fans, to Browns fans, as you sign off the show here? Oh, God, always be. I think everybody has to be a fan of something, but I think the Cleveland fans were the best fans that I've, I've been around, you know, and I've been around a few teams. You know, I've been to Oakland, Denver, uh, the Jets, Tampa Bay, the Bengals, you know, the Bears. You know what I mean? Everybody has fans. But the Cleveland fans are, you know what I mean? They're Win or lose, they're going to support you, which is good. Okay, that's a good thing for them. And you've got a lot of good young players there. Okay? right? And, and, and all they need to do is play. The more you can keep them together in a group, okay, the more you hang in there with them. Okay, the more you let them play, the better they're going to get. I mean, those two young running backs, when I first saw Chubb play, I said, this kid, which other kid, you know what I mean? This is, you know, we should give this kid the ball 28 to 35 times a game. 
Now he's got his buddy hunting with him, you know, so they can rest one and play the other one, and he's still got, there's not much of a drop-off. You know what I mean? So just hang in there with him. You know what I mean? And, you know, you're going to, you know, some of the media are going to get on him, and, you know, what you tell the players, the, you have different, four types of communication on the planet, okay? So the communication Take the information that you need and store it and get rid of the rest of the information. You know what I mean? And you got to kind of teach your players how to do that. What's relevant to what we're doing and what's not, okay? Don't listen to the stuff that's not going to make any difference to you. Let it go. It doesn't matter, okay? Go out there. And I really think when Belichick says, do your job, it's not about making plays. Because I used to work with Josh McDaniels and, and – uh, that was a big thing. Just do your job. The plays will come. Everybody says, he ain't making any plays. That guy isn't making any plays. So that guy's not making plays. If you put the ball on a 50-yard line and everybody did their job the way their job was supposed to be done on offense and defense, the ball would be on a 50-yard line all day. wouldn't leave. The only way you'd move the ball was to punt it. Okay? And then they'd have to do their jobs. You may get the punt blocked. You may get the punt off, right? Right? But if you do your job, okay, the plays will come. So what I used to do with the guys, okay, is say when the ball left the quarterback's hands, as soon as it left the quarterback's hands, I'd stop the tape. i said, okay, where's your guy? Okay, guys, Joel, JC, Kevin, okay, Chris, where, where's your guy? Yo, Joel, where is your guy when that happens? Right? Is he near the quarterback? Is the quarterback have to move because of your guy? Where is your guy? Now, that tells you if you did your job or not. Now, how you did it, you know, was it good at the way I coached? You know, sometimes, sometimes it doesn't look like I coached them at all. Okay, but their guy doesn't make the play. And all that matters. Your guy does not make the play. For sure. Bob, I appreciate it so much, man. This was a blast. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Anytime. You know, Cleveland fans, you guys are the best. You guys are the best. I was, I was happy. I was glad that. I was a part of it, and I'm glad I contributed as, as, as much as I could contribute more. Okay, you know, but you know, it it, it didn't work out that way. So you know, it's it's the nature of the National Football League. I, an old coach told me one time years and years and years ago, and and, and you want to stay in the spot as long as you can, but eventually there's a point in time where you leave to go to another team. You were know, six years, eight years, ten years, two years. Right, and I and usually it's the head coaches, and and the, I said, well, when is a time when you go to another team? When does that happen? He says when you no longer have anything to say, right, to the Lions or the Rotary Club, it's time to go someplace. That <laughs> always stuck in my head. I said, that makes a lot of sense. Great stuff there from former Browns offensive line coach. Bob Wiley, appreciate him coming on the show, man. Got into the feud with Freddie Kitchens and explained how all that trouble came about. He got into so much other stuff about Baker's first game. Told some really sweet stories about how he purchased three Maseratis. And of course, Coach Wiley appeared on the show courtesy of my friends at dugoutmugs.com. The Tribe are officially in the playoffs for the fourth time in five years. And it's time for us to celebrate with our own 
bat mugs from dugout mugs i got my bat mug with me on set and you could get yours too at dugoutmugs.com they're real life baseball bats hollowed out with the cleveland indians logo etched onto it it's a must-have for all Cleveland baseball fans. And to get you started, the crew at Dugout Mugs are going to give away free knob shot glasses to my listeners. They take the handle, the knob of an actual baseball bat, and they hollow that out and turn it into a shot glass, put that Block C logo on it. To get started, visit dugoutmugs.com slash That's my last name, Padone. dugoutmugs.com slash Get your bat mug here. Get your free knob shot. Super quality stuff. Make sure you go order yours today. You just got to pay shipping and handling on that little knob shot. Dugoutmugs.com slash Padone. That's dugoutmugs.com slash Padone. So on Sunday, the Browns are going to host the Washington football team. And I'm so happy that this is right where we're playing the Washington football team. The tribe are getting ready to be in the playoffs. It seems like things are coming together here in Cleveland, and that's how I opened up the show, saying how quickly things turn. You know, we went from the blood against the Ravens with the eight-game tribe losing streak, and here we are, ready to roll, Washington football team. This is a chance to pick up momentum. When good teams beat a bad team, that could be a, co- a turning point of their season because they're able to beat up on those bad teams. Last year with Freddie Kitchens, The Browns weren't able to do that. They were too much of a roller coaster. They were too herky-jerky. They were too up and down. You need to keep this momentum building. You beat the Cincinnati Bengals. Okay, good for you. You You did what you were supposed to do there. Now it's time to put pen to paper and beat the Washington football team who are better than the Bengals, right? They're not, the Washington football team isn't bad. They're, they're definitely a step above the Bengals. I know it's so hard to justify that because the Cincinnati Bengals had the first pick, Washington football team had the second pick. The Washington front four is really good, and, and a lot of us are very familiar with it up here in Cleveland because of Chase Young, right, and his time at Ohio State and what a stellar run that was out of a, a fantastic player. He's the same dude in the NFL. He's going to be causing pressures. He's going to keep Jedrick Will's hands full. And Jedrick Will said today when he met with the media, that dude's a beast. Like, there, he, he's going to have my hands full. So Jedrick Wills knows that he's up for a task. But can I shout out Bill Callahan on this show today? You know, Wyatt Teller, who was our big concern heading into the season as fans, as media, as pundits, that could this guy be the right guard? You know, we upgraded every position. You got, you know, rid of Chris Hubbard. You got Jack Conklin at right tackle. Greg Robinson tried driving over the border with a bunch of marijuana, so he gets replaced by Jedrick Wilds. You know, your left guard's Betonio. He's solid. Your center is J.C. Treader. He's solid, too. Your right guard was the only thing you were a little bit worried about, and today it comes out... Wyatt Teller is the highest graded guard in the National Football League. And that just goes to show that coaching matters and Bill Callahan is doing a fantastic job. So my keys to victory on Sunday against the Washington football team is the Browns need to be the same team that we saw against Cincinnati. Baker needs to get the ball out. They need to run with Chubb and Hunt, just like Bob Wiley was saying. You know, I want to see Chubb and Hunt carry it 25 times and then put the other one in. And just keep pounding that rock. Another key to victory, and we saw this against the Bengals, and it worked, was you got to get out early. Teams that are run happy, like like the Browns, you have to get out early so you can stick with that game plan. So you can continue to ground and pound instead of having to air the ball out 60 times to try to play catch up. 
Uh, it's uh, it's going to be a healthier defense, I really think. Uh, and it needs to play much better, right? That was definitely the low light against the Bengals. We let Joe Burrow look way too good. They move the ball at ease at times. And I know they bent, I said at the beginning, opening segment, they, they bend it and they didn't break. Miles Garrett had that awesome strip sack. And then Porter Gustin just cleaned up Joe Burrow. They played well at times, but you need to play a full four quarters of football if you're this Browns defense. And I think they're capable of doing that because they're getting better they're getting healthier and that's the important thing this is such a random game for me on the schedule and this is something too that I wanted to address and I wanted to know if you guys feel the same way tweet the show at Padone my take tweet me at Nick Padone 12 Washington isn't good but they're not bad and the Browns are certainly better and they should win you, you just need to see growth. It's such a random game. It has no division implications. You know, the Washington football team, like, they're not going to really shock anybody, I don't think, this year. Nobody's really expecting that. They have a good head coach in Riverboat Ron Rivera, and, geez, we all hope that everything's good with him with the cancer situation, and he is scheduled to get another IV at halftime this week, I believe. But, man, this game just feels so weird, and it feels so icky almost like like the Browns just need to go in there they need to show maturity they need to show growth fix the few mistakes that were made against the Cincinnati Bengals game defense plays better Baker needs to be sharper at times that big throw to Harrison Bryant that was intercepted by a country mile like like dumb little stuff like that dumb little mistakes like that you need to erase now and you need to tune up against the bad teams like Washington so then that way you can turn around and you could flip things over and you can really start to improve and and really start to be a threat to the good teams that are coming up here uh ken zampezi is haskins quarterback coach so we heard bob wally talk about it a little bit during that interview ken's gonna have haskins getting rid of that ball really quick and that's something that makes me a little bit nervous as a browns fan is i hope miles garrett and olivier vernon if he plays porter gustin adrian claiborne whoever's on that other side with garrett i hope they have an opportunity to get after haskins because their offensive line there in washington is bad i think they they allow like a 35 percent pressure rate which is not good that should be a miles garrett field day but if ken zampezi is in washington what he was in cleveland we should expect to see dwayne haskins getting rid of that ball fairly relatively quickly and um he's gonna stand in that pocket and let it fly if we win this game, and I asked you at the top of the hour, tweet the show at Padone My Take, are the Browns contenders or are they pretenders? If you win this game, it shows me that you could handle your business against the bad teams. And that gives me optimism that against teams that are about this same you know, at the same level as you, young teams on the rise, up and coming, should be making playoff pushes, you know, looking into the wild card spot, shooting at that division in a year or two. That gives me optimism that you're going to be able to hang in there with teams like that and possibly even hang in there with teams that are way better than you. You know, you win this game and you're looking at a tougher schedule ahead. You got the Dallas Cowboys, who and their defense is abysmal, and they're the Cowboys, and they always, you know, find a perfect way to go 8-8. Eight and eight. But at the same time, they have Dak Prescott. They have Ezekiel Elliott. They have Amari Cooper, you know, Michael Gallup. They have weapons on that offensive side of the ball that the Browns are going to have to look about. You got the Colts with, you know, Phil Rivers. They're not bad. And you have the Pittsburgh Steelers who are always good to be a thorn in your side. You win this game, you're feeling really good. Not only are you above 500 for the first time since 2014, 
but you're feeling a lot better about your locker room. You're feeling a lot better about the talent that surrounds this football team heading into those tougher matchups. And I think that's super important. And I think the schedule makers did the Browns the tattest of favors. And they usually don't. They definitely didn't giving us the opener against Baltimore. But this two-game stretch right here, the Cincinnati Bengals in their second game on a short week, that was tailor-made for the Browns. And it worked. It worked completely in the Browns' favor. And now the Washington football team with a second-year quarterback and Haskins, a new head coach, you see what I'm saying here? It's kind of aligned for a win. Quickly, I want to get into the Tribe because I think the Browns are going to win on Sunday. I think it's going to be um, a much better all-around game than what we saw on Thursday. And the game on Thursday was fun. It was a lot of running the ball. I think Baker's going to look a little bit sharper. And if you watch me on Big Play Reflog on Monday, I said the same exact thing. You know, he still seemed like he had happy feet at times. I think this could be the Baker you know, air player of the week. Remember when we were big, you know, in voting in those on Twitter during the 2018 run? I think we could see a game this week where Baker finds the end zone through the air a couple more times than what we saw on Thursday night. I'm looking at three touchdowns for Baker Mayfield in a Browns win on Sunday at home against the Washington football team. Should be a lot of fun. Again, if you want to place a bet on that, Browns are favored at this current moment. They're going to be favored all week, you know, going into Sunday time is now mybookie.ag promo code padone double that first deposit another team that you should be betting on right now is the cleveland indians again how a week changes everything last week i was in here whining and crying about an eight game you know losing streak now the tribe you don't want to get into their playoff opponents because that's so murky and if this team wins it's this team and if the tribe handles their business it's this team and this and that and this and that Let's, let's put it this way. I like the Cleveland Indians odds in a best of three wild card type deal play in into a bubble playoffs that the MLB is going to be experimenting with the first time ever, just like the NBA is with Shane Bieber as your ace, Zach Plesak in the second game. And if you need a third game, Cookie Carrasco, I like the Indians odds in pitching. That's the reason why they did this and doubled down on the pitching. But now you have to prove it. Now you have to get out of the round of three and move on into the round of five and the round of seven. Because once you make the postseason in baseball, the saying that everyone loves to use, it'll come out a million times, you know, before October 4th or 5th when the tribe is going to play their first postseason game is, well, now that they're in the playoffs, anything can happen. That's the saying that always gets tossed around by baseball fans. Anything can happen. Okay, well, prove it to me. For one year, just prove to me that not getting a big-time hitter at the deadline, that trading away Mike Clevenger and doubling down on your young pitching rotation of Zach Plesak, of guys like Tristan McKenzie, Aaron Savalli, and putting your trust in them. Now, if you're the Cleveland Indians, you have to show me as a fan that this is going to work, that truly anything can happen, right? Because the last post, the last year we didn't make the postseason, Postseason before, postseason before that, I saw a team that just got there and then completely crumbled, completely folded, especially after that 22-game win streak. Obviously, the World Series in 2016 was an example of it. It was in October to remember. 
Jose Ramirez, gotta shout him out. I hope he wins the MVP this year. When you talk about the most valuable player on a team in sports, we have this conversation when we're speaking of LeBron all the time. The word MVP, those three letters, they stand for most valuable player. So if you take Shane Bieber or you take Jose Ramirez off of the Indians, are they a playoff team? Is Francisco Lindor even on this team? Or do you just sell him at the deadline? Because at that point, you would have been so far out of contention. You would not have been in first place without Shane Bieber, without Jose Ramirez. These guys are the most valuable players in the league because they've almost single-handedly propelled this team to a postseason berth. And I'm super excited to watch the Tribe in the postseason. MLB playoffs last year felt empty because I felt like the Tribe deserved to be in there. They didn't have, you know, big injuries that got them down, you know, like in years past. It was just a disappointing season. The Minnesota Twins were better than us, and it sucked because we had just been there for three straight years. It should have been four. We should have won the division, made a crack at the World Series, and the Twins took it away from us. So I'm so happy that the Tribe are back in there. Let's get into it because it's time of the play of the week presented by BigPlay.com. BigPlay is your number one source for live interactive sports talk almost every night of the week. Give them a follow is the best way to watch shows like this one at BigPlay underscore com on Twitter, on Instagram. Stay in the loop with everything going on in Cleveland sports and national headlines like we're about to get into now. Let's get into it. The play of the week presented by BigPlay.com. Okay, so how this works, we're going to talk about someone in the world of sports, pop culture that missed the mark, that hit the mark, and somebody that fell somewhere in the middle. So my small play of the week, let's kick this thing off. Small play of the week is doctors. If you're a doctor, you know, and we're lucky that we live here in Cleveland and we have some of the best medical professionals in the world that work at the Cleveland Clinic and the caregivers out, you know, in all the branches, especially, you know, downtown at the main campus and everything like that. We're blessed here with doctors. But if you're rolling into your job tomorrow and you're a fan of the NFL and you're maybe lead doctor or however that works, the doctor's boss is like a big NFL fan. They're kind of looking at you like, man. Or like maybe a hospital manager. They're looking at you like, you're on the hot seat, dude. So LA Chargers team doctor accidentally punctures Tyrod Taylor's lung while trying to inject uh, painkillers into his cracked rib so he could play on Sunday. This happens before the game. Um, obviously he punctured the dude's lung. So Tyrod Taylor wasn't able to play. Justin Herbert finds out a minute or two before the game that this had happened and that he's going to be the chart, you know, the charger starting quarterback on Sunday. I have a gripe with doctors and I know I just gave them credit, but it's so aggravating to me that a doctor could go eight, 10, whatever year, how many ever years it is in school. And then still do things like this. And accidents happen. Don't get me wrong. Whatever occupation that you're in, accidents are going to happen. If you're a car mechanic, there's going to be a time where you put the screw on the wrong part of the motor and it's going to, you know, you're going to poop down your leg and it's going to screw the whole car. Same thing happens probably when, you, when you're being a doctor. We, we saw it on Sunday with Tyrod Taylor's lung. My issue with this is as much as accidents happen, when you're a doctor, you're held to that higher standard. So... While accidents happen, 
medical malpractice lawsuits and settlements should also be allowed to happen. And the NFL has it written in their collective bargaining agreement that all the players had to sign. And we remember all the drama and controversy that went with that. That if you're accepting team care, which is, you know, obviously free care that the team provides to a player, you can't sue. You can't sue the doctor. You can't get anything you know, reap the benefits of malpractice. So if I'm Tyrod Taylor, I'm like, man, I was supposed to be a starting quarterback. I'm going to be missing out on, you know, potential next contracts, you know, more games to put on tape, more throws to put on tape. I'm missing out on endorsement opportunities. If I break out and play well, that aggravates the hell out of me that he can't, you know, I hate to say sue this doctor, you know, that doctor screwed him. That's not the case. I believe it was an honest mistake. I certainly hope that it was at least. But it's it's just crummy to me that Terod Taylor, because it was free care provided by the team, he can't he can't reap any of the benefits. Um, and I would try maybe okay maybe I can't get anything from this injury. Like I can't say oh you punctured you know my lung, give me a couple hundred thousand dollars. But what about if he like twisted it in such a way and saying. Oh, you lost me an opportunity to put, you know, games on my tape, on my huddle, on my, you know, resume. And that's going to hurt my opportunity to sign with another team or to re-sign with the LA Chargers when this contract is up. I wonder if he can kind of construe it that way. This is twice in Tyrod Taylor's career that he's been kind of sabotaged. So if you remember Thursday Night Football against the Jets, which we talked about with Bob Wiley... Terod Taylor, he was a mess that game. Every time he went down, and when he goes down, he's like a bad faller. Like some people, when they fall, especially athletes, they fall gracefully. Kyler Murray, he's a small guy. Whenever he gets sacked or he gets hit or he falls, it doesn't look like he's going to snap in half. Russell Wilson, again, a really good faller. Uh, you look at a guy like Blake Bortles, a really bad faller. Nick Foles, a really bad faller. Guys that when they get hit, it looks like their head is going to fall off of their shoulders. Terod Taylor is a bad faller. So on that Thursday night football game, when he was flopping all over the field because the Browns offensive line at that point was not that good. He was holding every part of his body. He was holding his wrist at one point. He was holding his knee at another point. And I, I just feel as if they were looking for any excuse on that Thursday night football game to turn those 0-2 Browns around and to get Baker Mayfield, the number one overall pick, into that game. And I feel almost as if just bad for Terod Taylor because this is the second time that this has happened on a punctured lung in a freak accident by the team doctor, and now he can't play and he can't be the starter there. I do understand, however, why their coach, Anthony Lynn, is pushing for Terod Taylor to be the starter because this is such an ugly look for the LA Chargers as an organization. Like your team doctor punctures the starting quarterback's lung, and then he gets replaced by the rookie quarterback who's go- who played well and looked good and almost beat the you know, defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs and now Terod Taylor like sorry dude we spent a first round draft pick on this guy like he played well we got to play him but all that wouldn't have happened if his lung wasn't punctured so I feel so bad for Terod Taylor who's a stand-up guy on all accounts and people have nothing but good things to say about Terod Taylor I I just feel like his career you know and his last two teams have been in a sense, sabotaged, and it's kind of sad and crazy. So let's get into the medium play of the week is the NFL mask enforcing 
Task Force is what I've decided to call it. If you've missed it, the NFL fined several coaches this week over not wearing a mask on the sideline of the field. At first, I was like, this is cool. And I liked when the NBA coaches inside the bubble were wearing their masks as well because I think it sends a bigger message to like us idiot fans at home. Like, hey, look, these coaches who are you know really cool and they're really important people are wearing their masks, so you should too. But then I really sat down and thought about it. And I'm like, okay, wait. I don't know about the mass, vast majority of people, but I'm not that stupid. They're getting coronavirus tests every day. So, like, when they walk into that stadium, they're getting a coronavirus test. Like, they know that they're negative, And if they're positive, they have to spin it around and get the hell out of there. So, at first, I thought it was a good mood for the NFL to set an example like this. But now I'm like... Really? Like, like, I get that it's still important to send that message, but we're going to take $100,000 a pop away from these coaches for pretty much a uniform violation at this point. It's not a health and safety thing, uh, you know, in the NFL, in the NBA, when they're getting tested every day, when they're pretty much not allowed to leave their apartments, their team hotels, because of the protocols put in place by their specific teams. Like, it's important that we wear our masks, but I watch an offensive line and a defensive line for four quarters of a full-length NFL football game with no masks on, just helmets with the little metal bars that go in front of their mouths crash into each other like test, you know, dummies for hours on end. And they're fine, and they're, you know, up close and personal. I feel like the coaches should be wearing their masks. It's important. It sends the message. But if they don't, come on, could, could we send a warning? And I know they did, and they said you have to wear them. You know, it's imperative. They're going to crack down on it. But, man, $100,000. That's a lot of money to find someone. And I like that Kevin Stefanski joked about how much money that actually is today when he met with the media in Berea. He said, you know, $100,000, he's like, this thing isn't coming off my face. And obviously that got a big laugh because that's a lot of money. I don't know how to feel about it because one hand of the equation is like, okay, it's a good thing. They're setting an example. And then on the other hand, it's like they're setting an example, but it's kind of ridiculous because they're getting tests all day, every day, and they know that they don't have it. So it's kind of, it's just kind of different. Big play of the week. Let's get into it. Rajay Davis. And I know what you're thinking. Rajay Davis, he's not even on the Indians. Well, first, got to give a huge shout out to him. Had an outstanding interview on the Big Play Network. Obviously, what we're a part of. Talked. Uh, it told a really cool story about 2016 World Series. During the rain delay, they head down into the clubhouse. He's looking around. They're starting to hang the plastic over the lockers getting ready for the champagne celebration after he hit the home run and he was like you know now's not the time for that like now's not the time so first big play to him because that was a cool story second Rajay last night Jose takes Rajay Davis's bat what Rajay Davis's old bat is still doing at Progressive Field I have no idea it's cool that they keep it around but Jose Ramirez takes it and uses the bat with Rajay Davis's name etched onto it to hit that three run walk off you know shot home run in extra innings to send the Cleveland Indians to the playoffs I don't know what it is about Rajay Davis but whenever his name is mentioned something cool happens the guy is just cool he's magical he's like a wizard he's he's the 
Wizard of Cleveland Indians baseball. So Rajay Davis, you're my big play of the week because if it wasn't for you, who knows if Jose Ramirez, that ball might not leave the yard, you know? So Rajay Davis, you're the big play of the week. And Jose Ramirez, you're going to be the AL MVP, my friend. We need to will that into existence as well. Thanks everyone for hanging out. What a fun hour. Huge thanks to former Browns assistant, Bob Wiley. Man, it sure seemed as if he carried this show today. He brought it all the way. You know, fantastic stuff out of him. Even bigger thanks to my bookie. Register today. Use promo code PADONE. They're going to double your first deposit. Go bet on the Cleveland Browns on Sunday. They're going to be 2-1 and one for the first time since 2014. That gives you enough of a reason to use mybookie.ag. Use promo code PADONE. They're going to match whatever you put into your account and double that first deposit for you. Go play some parlays. Go play some squares and have some fun this Sunday. Bet on the NFL. Have a blast with my bookie promo code padone next wednesday same bat time same bat channel we're going to be doing this all again right here on twitter on facebook on youtube on bigplay.com on apple Podcasts, on spotify make sure to subscribe to all of that stuff and as my good friend pat Shermer used to say we'll see you wednesday oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Yeah.